Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you so much for sunshine. Thank you, God, that you're able to make us rise out of a, a sadness. You're able to motivate us with the changing of the seasons. We thank you, God, that just like life, weather goes away and new weather comes. And God, I pray that here today, you'd help us to factor all of our emotions in with who you are and what you're like. That we would be a people who know ourselves in light of what you're like. That we would be people of God. Father, I ask today that your word would show us just that. God, teach us today from the Word. Speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn to the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible there in front of you, the black Bible. And I believe it's page 1113, 1113. 1 Peter chapter 2. We finished chapter 1 last week. We start chapter 2 today. And, and, and Peter is just loaded, as I've said already. It's so good. It's so, it's so rich. And today, he's just going to speak right to us. Uh, in chapter 1, we dealt with so many different things. Yet, what we're starting at here in chapter 2 is, is just outstanding. It's a message straight for God's people. And I hope that you get it. Uh, I want to talk today about growing up is hard, but it's good. Growing up is really, really hard. As our church is continuing to to grow with young people, both teenagers and college-age young adults. Uh, we're, we're excited about that, and that's a good thing, but it also means that we have to, to disciple them and teach them and help them grow up. And uh, you know that being a young person is hard these days. And so one of the things that we are continually encountering is dealing with young people who are coming to the realization that they want to grow up, they desire to grow up, they're ready to be uh, adults, but that's not easy. That's hard. It's hard to make decisions about whether you're going to go to school or not go to school. And then if you are going to go to school, how are you going to pay for school? And if you are going to go to school and uh, try to do your best so that you can get your job eventually, well then how are you going to work now if you're trying to go to school? And this stuff's hard. It's really, really hard to do. You've, you've heard me tell the story before where uh, my, my mom and dad had to sit me down when I was in my second year of college and just give me a real strong talking that I can't stay this little teenager that just wants to live a happy-go-lucky life, it's time to grow up. And they spoke to me strongly enough that I think I got the message. But you know that growing up is hard. You know, now that I'm 35 years old and, and Val and I have been married, you know, here in just a couple weeks we'll celebrate 10 years of marriage, April the 2nd, and I feel like I'm growing up or I'm, I'm getting older and shoveled a lot of snow this week and my back reminded me that I am getting older. And as I think about life, I, I've yet to think, well, I'm past, the, I'm past the good old days, I'm past the good times. I honestly feel like right now is the best time. I love my wife and she loves me, and I, I love being a, being a dad. That's, that's so much fun to me. And so if you were to ask me what's, what's been the best time of life, I'm going to say 35 is the best. I love this. And just a few years ago, when I was back visiting my parents in Charlotte, North Carolina, I was having a conversation like this with my mom. And my mom is, well, I probably shouldn't tell you how old she is. So my mom is a little bit older than me. And we were having a conversation. And I said, Mom, what do you think is the best stage of life? Because I'm clearly leaving stages behind at this rate. 
what's the best stage of life? And she said, you know, I haven't thought about it. She said, I never thought about that before, but I think I probably think right now is my best stage. And that shocked me. I thought, really? I mean, getting old and no kids in the house and being grandparents, all that, best stage? And she said, yeah. And she went on for all these reasons why she thought so. She said, you know, being a grandmother is really nice. And she said, I love your dad now as much as I ever have. She said, yeah, fun is not defined the same way at this age as it was at your age, but I love the stage of life right now. And I haven't forgotten that. I'm not there and I'm not, I'm not in a hurry to become a grandparent. But growing up is a good thing. You know, sometimes we think growing up is a bad thing. Growing up is a good thing. And if God, listen to me, if God is the thing that makes life good, if God is the one that satisfies, which is what the Bible teaches us, getting older should make your closeness to God stronger. So I think it's a biblical concept, it's truth, that the older you get, the better life gets. If sin is the darkness and sin is what not satisfies and sin is what leaves us empty and hurting and longing and and up and down, then perhaps the the younger days where we're farther from God and more in, in tune to sin, perhaps that's just a mirage. Perhaps the younger days aren't the best days. Maybe growing up really is good. That's my testimony at age 35 that growing up is good. But growing up is hard. Growing pains are real. Learning responsibility is part of growing up. It's good, but it's hard. And the Bible tells us today that spiritually speaking, this is also the case. God tells us in the Bible, you need to grow up. Now, I remember being that 19-year-old when my parents told me, son, you better. I said, well, I don't know what to do. My dad said, you can't say that to me ever again. Stop saying you don't know what to do. You better find something to do. God has a message for us to which he says, it's time for us to grow up spiritually. And and I knew then that my dad loved me. I didn't didn't want to fight him. I didn't run away saying he don't know what he's talking about. He had already grown up and done a good job at growing up. So I knew that if he's telling me that, I need to listen. When God tells us that we need to grow up spiritually, I hope that your spiritual ears, regardless of how young they are, that your spiritual heart, regardless of how young or immature it might be, says, you're right, God. It is time for me right now to get it together, spiritually speaking. It's time for me to grow up. It's time for me to make some commitments in my life. It's time for me to prioritize or re-prioritize my life that I might be growing spiritually. I hope that today God moves in your heart that you would not want to remain lacking in growth. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at the first three verses today. Three points that will go with all three verses. Just verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. Number 1, putting away. Number 2, growing up. And number 3, tasting good. Number 1, putting away. Number 2, growing up. And number 3, 
tasting good. Read with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 2. So, or therefore, put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's good. What a good book Peter is. Number one, putting away. You remember that in chapter one, especially where we were last week, that Peter came real strong with us, beginning of verse 22, that we are to love one another. Love one another sincerely, earnestly, from a pure heart. If we are going to be a church, we must be a church that loves each other. If we cannot love each other, then please, let's stop acting like we have a witness. Because a church that does not love each other is doing more harm in the world than they are doing good. He tells us to love one another in verse 22 and 23. But he does that by saying something has happened to us. And this is where Christianity is unlike anything else in the world. Christianity is unlike any religion in the world. Christianity says that you cannot do what God has asked you to do. Christianity says, here is a whole book from God telling you how God wants you to live, but it goes ahead from the beginning and says you can't do it. You cannot live according to the Ten Commandments. You're not able to live a holy life. You're not able to obey completely. You're not. But God will do a work in you that will then cause you to. There is such thing as gospel transformation that happens in our lives. There is such thing as somebody being saved, born again, made new. That happens. That's what he's talking about. If you look at verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth." Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Peter says that if the message that God talks about, the Jesus saving, dying on the cross for your sins message has happened to you, if you've believed it, then God has changed you. He's purified your soul. You've 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 decided to obey the truth. God has done this through the power of the Word. Not a Word that can perish, but a Word that will last forever. And God has done that. That is what enables us to love people. You show me people that don't want to love people, don't care to love people, don't desire to love people, and we'll see people who have not been born again, people who are not truly Christian, people that don't follow Jesus. And we get that. That makes sense. It is the people of God that are to be the church. It's the followers of Jesus, those who have been born again, made new, who are to be the church. Then in chapter 2, he says, that if that's you, purified soul, obedient to the truth, loving one another from a pure heart, born again from imperishable seed that is the Word of God, flesh, all flesh is like grass, it does die, it withers, it goes away, but the Word of God remains forever. And if the Word of God has taken root in your heart and produced new life in you, it stays forever. We are the people of God. Changed. Different. Saved. And so in chapter 2, he says... And it just goes along with it. So, therefore, put away. Peter assumes, which the church assumes too, 
that everybody that understands anything about God assumes too, that if you are going to say that God has purified your soul, then there ought to be some things that you do away with. There ought to be some things in your life that you stop doing. There ought to be some sins that maybe are natural, that maybe uh, come quickly, that, that maybe you respond to, that you say, no, those are wrong. Those are evil. Those are of the darkness. Those are of the devil, and I want to put those away. I have a new spirit about me. I have God in me. I have the Word of God as a root in my life to give me life. And so I want to put some things away. Matthew Henry says that the best Christians have need to be cautioned and warned against the worst sins. And the reason why he says worst sins here is because he's not listing the things that you might first think of, like stealing and murder and sexual morality. That's not in this list. He simply goes to things that tend to be more of a problem with his loving one another from a pure heart. These are simply speech things. These are simply one-on-one. These are relational sins in verse 1. Look at the list. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. Put those things away. Put them away. Peter says that if you want to be the church, if you're born again, if you've purified your soul, put those things away. Let's look at what those are. Malice. Malice is a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds. You just want somebody to feel the pain of this comment. You just want to say something that cuts real deep. You want to say that to them. You make a comment and it hurts them. That's what malice is. Christians should be people who say, I'm putting that away. I used to be able to tear people up and down. Peter says, put it away. The next word, in my Bible, it's deceit. In your Bible, it might be guile. It means the same thing. It's a desire to gain some advantage or preserve some position by deceiving others. This happens all the time in politics. This happens in schools. This happens when people are politicking. This happens um, in, the, in the neighborhood, in the community, when you're trying to one-up, when you're trying to get an advantage, when you're trying to rise above somebody, when you're trying to make yourself look better. In the workplace, there is deceit. And one of the things that I've learned that kids know how to do just naturally is they learn how to tell half-truths. Have you heard about that? I remember one of my mentors used to say that a half-truth presented, presented as a whole truth is a non-truth or an untruth. If you only tell half the story, half the story may be all true, but if it's only half the truth presented as the whole truth, it's not true. You can deceive people that way. And Peter says that type of stuff needs to be put away. Hypocrisy. We all know what that is. If you've ever thought a little bit about church, you know what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is a desire not to be known for what really is. We want people to know us in ways of what we're not really like. Hypocrisy literally talks about wearing a mask. I've, I've, I've convinced you to believe that I'm something I'm really not. You think that this is me, but that's not really me. That's hypocrisy. Peter says to put it away. Envy. What is envy? A desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another with resentment that another has it and you don't. 
One of the big problems with social media these days is that we see all the good stuff that's happening in everybody else's lives and we get envious about it. Great, they went to Chuck E. Cheese again. We never get to go. They got a new car. They went to Disney World for vacation. We've never been. That type of stuff. It's envy. And Peter says, put that away. If you have a purified soul, put those things away. Slander. The desire for revenge and self-enhancement often driven by the deeper desire to deflect attention from our own failings. If we can push other people down far enough, guess what? It looks like we're high. If I can make you look so bad, it makes me look good. The worse light we can put another in by slander, the less our own darkness shows. If we can make everybody else look dirty, we think it makes us look clean. But it doesn't work that way. Peter tells us to put these things away. I've preached on this a lot lately, but we need to know that in order for you to be a Christian, there must be some things that you've decided that you're not going to be about. We cannot be people who are trying to say we're characterized by God and, and His characteristics if we haven't gotten rid of our old, ugly, sinful characteristics. This is part of Christianity. I love it in Psalm 1, which is the first psalm in the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it goes on and on and describes this man, what he's like. It says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. It's an awesome passage about the blessed man. But in the long passage, six verses of, of Psalm 1 about the blessed man, the happy man... It really only tells us one characteristic about him. He delights in the Word of God. One positive. But you know what? It tells us three negatives. Do you realize that in Psalm 1, the blessed man, the happy man, is known more for what he doesn't do than for what he does? Now, let me give you a little side note here. We cannot afford to be a church that's only known for what we're against. That's happened to a lot of old school, stuck in their ways, traditional, don't know the gospel Christian people. And they're dying because of it. We got to be about something. We got to be a community difference maker. We got to be a world changer. We got to be able to get up in situations and say, hey, help has come because God is with me. What can we do to make things better around here? What can we do to make things better in our home, in our family, in our relationships? Listen, if you're a Christian and you've got some friends, you ought to be making that friendship better every single time because you bring hope, you bring prayer, you bring understanding. But in Psalm 1, he's known for more in Psalm 1 for what he's not about. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. There's a lot of bad advice out there. A lot of bad advice. The happy man does not listen to it. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. You're not going to find him uh, in, the, in the way, in the direction of those people who are going towards things I'm not about. I want my life to be about things that God's about. He doesn't sit in the way of scoffers. If there's a place, if there's a people, there's a group of people, if there are conversations happening in the world where people scoff, where they joke, where they, they make comments, where they put people down, where they slander and do all of that, you're not going to find me sitting there, is what Psalm 1 says. If you really are going to have our affection set on God, if Be Thou Thy my, my Vision, one of those old hymns, yet one of my favorite songs, I love that song, Micah, Be Thou My Vision. At the end of the day, my life is a mess, but I pray and I desire for God to be my vision. 
I want my life to be about God. Even though it's far from it right now, that's what I want and that's what I'm aiming for. I love that song. And if I want my life to be that way, then I've got to hear what Peter's talking about. There are some things I need to put away. And y'all, are, y'all know what putting away is all about. That sun came out yesterday. Snow started melting like crazy. We got a flood watch. There's so much snow melting. And we started thinking spring's here. I wore shorts all day yesterday. I was freezing. But I wore shorts all day yesterday. I did. We went out and about, went to the stores, but I wore shorts. Because the sun was out and I thought spring was here. Well, Val is in spring cleaning mode. She had out 20 totes. The whole living room's covered in totes. She's been through the, the one T's, the two T's, the three T's, the four T's. Does this fit? Does this fit? Will this work next year? You think it'll wait till next year? Okay, I got this pile that's going to consignment. This pile's going to give away. This pile's going back in the tote. This pile's going in the drawers. She is spring cleaning completely. And what she's thinking about is, you think I could put this away? And I remember my mom doing that. Everybody's got to do that unless you just got enough closets and enough drawers to hold everything. You got to put some things away. Peter says, church, if God has changed you like He does change people, put away this type of talk, this type of dealing with people the way the world does. Church, we are praying and working hard to make a difference in Fairdale. We want to be a beacon, a lighthouse. We want to be a place right here, 413 Fairdale Road, just this little area back here all the way back. This area that that, that is the place where these people meet wants to make a difference in the world and certainly here in Fairdale. We do. And it will not happen if we don't put away sinfulness. If you're okay with being somebody who talks with malice or deceit or if you're you're a hypocrite or you're envious or you slander people, then we are not going to make a difference. We'll have zero impact. And one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. It's true. If you're here today and you're new to our church and we've always got visitors, or if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know that, but you've been thinking about it. You've been thinking about making some changes. Listen, I want to tell you that if you know people in our church or outside our church who are playing the game of saying they love God, but they haven't put away some things, then let me apologize on behalf of God. That's not how God is. And that's not how God wants His people to be. God doesn't want His people to be two-faced. God doesn't want His people to try to walk two different paths. He tells us clearly, put it away. Put it away. Just recently. It's happened to me twice since I've been the pastor. One was just recently, like this year, 2015. One was about three or four years ago. Somebody in the church came to me and said, let me tell you about a conversation I had. So I was out talking to somebody, and I, I ran into somebody who does this job. So we got to talking. I said, oh, really? You work there? They said, really? You work there? He said, yeah. I said, well, do you know such and such? They said, oh yeah, I know him. We work together. Yeah, that's why I asked you. We work together. He said, we go to church together. And that person goes, really? I would have never guessed that man goes to church. He's one of the most foul-mouthed, dirty joke guys we got. And somebody comes and tells me that, I, I wish they had it. You don't need me to explain why that's bad. 
It's not what God tells us to be. It's not of God. Church, we don't want that. God doesn't want that. We've come to God's Word. We've come to His manual. We've said, God, what do you want us to be like? He says, put some things away. Hey, listen, you might know some people out there that aren't the best folks. It's not your place to tell them. It's not your place to tell other people. It's not your place to be envious or slandering or hypocritical or deceitful or malice. We're here to make a difference. We're here to be light, salt. We're here to be good to the world. It ought to be better when First Baptist Fairdale gets involved. The first thing is putting away. Matthew Henry says, Our best services towards God will neither please Him nor profit us if we be not conscientious in our duties to men. The sins here mentioned are offenses against the second table. These must be laid aside or else we cannot receive the Word of God as we ought to do. One little sin can hinder our spiritual lives. Verse 2, number 1 is putting away. Verse 2, though, is growing up. It says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Does everybody see that? God says for us to grow up. We may grow up, but He doesn't tell us just to grow up. You know, so often we have coaches and we have parents that don't know how to coach and parent, and so they're always blasting their kids for being unsuccessful, but they haven't put them in the position to get there. Coaching and parenting and that type of stuff and leading is hard work. It's easy just to say, Hey, I expect you to be awesome. People don't get awesome. It takes a long time, a long time to help somebody grow up. And God doesn't do that either. People have miscommunicated the Word of God if they say, well, here's the Ten Commandments, learn to do it. No. Look what He says. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. The pure spiritual milk. He's referring to the Word of God. But he refers to them as newborn infants. Why? Not because they're immature in their faith. Sometimes the Bible says newborn baby-like because you're immature in their faith. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's reminding them yet again what chapter 1 was all about, that they've got the new birth. They've got Jesus in them. They've got the Holy Spirit. At verse 23, he had already said, since you've been born again. At verse 3, he had said, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again. This is something that Peter talks about over and over again. That there is a newness of life in us, the seed of God, the life of God, working in us because of the gospel message that came to us that we believed. And he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Meaning, the way a baby does, the way a baby has to have that milk, the way a baby longs for that milk, you too long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for the Word of God. The Word of God that will somehow cause you to grow. I think many of you are saved, born-again people. But you know you have just neglected the Word of God. You've neglected in your own reading. You don't read. You admit you don't really read the Bible. You've neglected it in hearing it. Some of you are just now getting committed to being here regularly on Sunday morning to where you're hearing the preaching of the Word and you're seeing that it's doing something to you. It is God's design that God's Word would be the thing that feeds the life of the believer. 
You get the Word, you start growing. It feeds us. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted and He was hungry from fasting 40 days and the devil said, well here, why don't you make these rocks into some bread? And Jesus said, man does not live by bread. I'm hungry, He said. Very hungry. But man doesn't live by bread. What does man live by, Jesus? Every He says it. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our life. Our livelihood. We cannot get away from it. We will go crazy in the wrong direction without the Word of God. We will lose our senses. We'll start acting in ways that we wish we weren't acting. We will regret who we, we will regret who we have become. We will be embarrassed and ashamed of ourselves that we are the people of God and we know that we are the people of God, but we so much don't align ourselves with God. We will come to the realization that God tells me to put things away and I haven't put them away. I've left them out. I'm still wearing these characteristics that I don't want to be about because of the Word not being there. He says, long for it. Long for it. Henry says, the manner in which they are to desire the sincere milk of the Word is stated thus, as newborn babes. He puts them in mind of their regeneration, their new birth. A new life requires suitable food. They, being newly born, must desire the milk of the Word. Strong desires and affections to the Word of God are a sure evidence of a person's being born again, and you know this. If they be such desires as the babe has for the milk, they prove that the person is newborn. It's as simple as one plus one equals two. When you find somebody who is growing, you see a desire in them for the Word. You find somebody who will admit they're not growing, they're not struggling. They will admit they've been neglecting the Word. Because it is the milk, the, the food of the child of God. And Peter says, be like a baby and long for that milk. Val and I know a thing or two about babies and milk. And we're about to start the process all over again. We have a baby due here. Troy, you said Easter's in three weeks. It's in four weeks. Four weeks from today is Easter. And that's Val's due date, April 5th. And so I'm trying to gear myself up for having to pack the diaper bag and make sure we got everything and all that. And when you're out with a baby, there's a few things you can do without. If you forget a burp cloth, it's not going to be fun, but you can manage. And just use your shirt or something like that. <clears throat> it'll work. I mean, it's not preferable, but it'll work. <clears throat> If you forget some diapers, it'll work. It'll be tough, but it'll work. You can always say, uh-oh, we're out of diapers. Hurry up to the store and let's get some diapers. You can manage. You can get creative if you have to. You can, uh, if you forget wipes, you can manage. You don't want to, but you can. And if you have to use paper towels instead of wipes to do some warm water at the sink, it's, it's not good. They're not as good as those wipes. But you can manage. 
You can forget a lot of things when you're packing the diaper bag for your baby and still somehow get by. But you know what you just cannot forget? The baby's milk. If the baby doesn't have milk, you can't make it. You can't. If the baby's hungry and it needs the food, there's no appeasing it. You've got to have it. There's nothing as life-wrecking as a screaming baby that simply is hungry. Peter says, Church, the same way you see in a baby, long for the pure spiritual milk. Be the believer that says, I hate the spring forward day. I'm so tired right now, I can't wait to nap. It caught me by surprise. It's only one hour, but it feels like five. But I'm not missing church. I'm not missing the next sermon in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to hear it. I want God to speak to me. I talked to one of you all who's doing the Bible reading plan, and, and by now we're at the point where y'all don't really want us to bring up Bible reading plan anymore because we're into the third month and most people have, have uh, not made it. But you know, we just moved into March and we just started Hebrews. I think we're only up to like Hebrews chapter 4 or 5. It's about, about a week or two ago, I had one of you all call me up and say, hey, what's after Acts? I said, well, March is coming. You'll get the bookmark when, when March comes. He said, no, Acts was so good, I finished the book of Acts. It had me so captivated, I finished it. I want to know what's next. I'm going to keep reading. Hey, is that a good sign or a bad sign? Is that somebody who's thirsty for the Word, hungry for the Word? Yes, you know that. This is what Peter's saying. And if you want to be the child of God who is guarding your soul and increasing your faith and making sure you're close to God, keeping yourselves in the love of God like Jude tells us to, if you want to be that person that's growing spiritually, walking with the Lord, trusting in Him, resting in Him, then find a way to long for the Word. Long for it. Want that. I love this quote. The Word of God, rightly used, does not leave a man as it finds him, but improves and makes him better. What a sweet quote. I want myself, my wife, my children, I want all of you to be people who simply have become better men and women in the world's eyes because of what the Word has done. Because of what the Word has done. We long for it. That pure spiritual milk. And he says that by it you may grow up into salvation. I walked in church today and Rachel's sitting over here with little Ben. And he's not really little Ben. He's big Ben. And Ben is a big baby. And Rachel's words were, gosh, he's growing so fast. That's what happens. Now you start getting into the milk, you'll start growing. It happens just like that. Hey, church, you start getting into the Word. You read it. You listen to it. You have conversations about it. Guess what happens? You'll start growing. You'll be thrilled that your walk with the Lord is increasing. You'll feel close to God. You'll find yourself saying things like, hey, I'm closer to God right now than I've ever been. It's because you got the milk. It's because you got the Word. It's because you're close. That's what God tells us. Number one, putting away. Number two, growing up. And number three, lastly, 
tasting good. Look what he says. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, we know Peter to be a tough man of God. We know him to be one who wants to make a difference. We know Peter to be the one who was willing to say what needed to be said. He was willing to put it out there or stick his foot in his mouth. He was, he was willing to speak a word that needed to be spoken. He was willing to, to preach hard to the people that needed to be preached hard to. He doesn't hold back here. He's already told them that they've obeyed the truth and purified their souls. He's already told them three times that they've been born again. He's he's speaking to Christian people. Remember, chapter 1, verse 1 says, I'm writing to the elect exiles. He knows that these are children of God. But in Peter's mind, children of God who are desiring the Word of God go so much hand in hand together that he throws in there the word if. Because in Peter's mind, if you have no desire to get that pure spiritual meal, if you have no desire to grow in the Word and grow in your relationship with God, then he wants to throw in there an if, if you call yourself a Christian. He doesn't say call yourself a Christian. He just says, indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Because this is what the Bible presents as somebody who comes to the good news. The Bible teaches that the Word of God is sweeter than honey. Sweeter than a honey on a honeycomb, the Bible says in Psalm 19. Oh, the Word of God is so sweet to those who have tasted it. If you have tasted it, the Lord is good. Why would you not want more is what Peter is saying. Don't tell me you've tasted it if you don't want to eat it. My favorite drink, hands down. If sweet tea is an option, I'm getting sweet tea. You're not going to tell me, oh, you got, you got two choices, ginger ale and sweet tea, and I'm going to choose ginger ale. Never. I don't like ginger ale. Unless I'm laying in bed sick, I'm not drinking ginger ale. But I love sweet tea. Why? Because it's good. It's good to me. I like that. Peter's saying, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, you know that He's good, and you want more of Him, and you want His Word, you want to hear it, you want to sing it, you want to be about it. You want your life to be about God, and the Word is where you find Him. If you've tasted Him. Now, if you haven't tasted Him, this doesn't make sense to you, he says. If you haven't tasted the Lord, then then you don't want more of Him. And you know where this is coming from. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later because he does, this, he does this more in 1 Peter. You don't have to turn there, but if you take notes, write down Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Many of you know this verse. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. The psalmist says, listen, God is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Why don't you taste Him and see that He's good? Why don't you give God a try? Why don't you run from your sinfulness, turn from your wicked ways, turn from the direction that you're going, and taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and you know what the Bible says over and over again? It says it later in 1 Peter. You will not be put to shame. One translation says, you will not be disappointed. It's good. It's really good. God is good. Peter throws a big if in there. I want to ask you if that if bothers you. I want to ask you if you would admit here today that your desire for God and His Word has just been lacking. Could it be that you need to recommit yourself to God? Could it be that you need to 
set your eyes upon Jesus afresh. Repent of your sins and say, God, have mercy upon me. Draw me near to you, God. I want to taste you and know that you're good. And I want to keep desiring that. I want to stay right there. Have you tasted that God is good? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. He says, we cannot taste at a distance. He says, many of our other senses work from a distance. Listen, our seeing and our hearing and our smelling work from a distance. Isn't that profound? But you can't taste from a distance. You've got to get close to God if you want to taste Him. You've got to get close to Him. I want to ask you if you've tasted Him. One of the things that I like to do is if I ever get a good voicemail on my phone, a really good one, that means something to me, touches my heart, makes me laugh or something, I save it. I got several voicemails on here. Most of them are from my dad from 2011, 2012, 2013. I got one on here where my dad, he always starts real slow and then picks up steam as the voicemail's going on. And I got one on here where he's telling me about Taco Bell's apple pie empanadas. I never had one. Josh, man, you got to get up to Taco Bell. He says, I don't like Taco Bell. He doesn't like Taco Bell. He never eats there. He said, but my dad made me go. He told me about the apple pies. His dad recently passed away too, so it's even more special to me. He said, my dad told me about the apple pies. And he goes, they don't call them apple pies. They call them something else. Empanadas. He said, but best thing, quote, best thing I ever put in my mouth. That's what he says. You got to try them. That's the way I feel about God. They're, they're so good, or God is so good, I, I want you to know about Him. God has done so much in my life, I, I want Him to do that in your life. God has so satisfied my soul's longing. The taste that my, that, my, that my life wants has been so rich. I want you to have it too. Peter says, if you've tasted it, get into the Word. Long for that pure spiritual meal. Church, can we hear the Word of God today? That Peter just tells the Christians that there's some things that we need to put away and then there is one thing that we need to long for. We need to create in our marriages and in our friendships and in our parenting and in our homes a longing for the Word. We need to train each other, teach each other to to like this and to like it more and and to want it more. Come to expect it. This is what we do. We're not okay with just coming to church twice a month. We want to hear the Word. Some of y'all are clockwork twice a month. I guarantee you you, when you're going to be here and when you're not. Some of you ain't been here the last two weeks. I know you're going to be here today. Probably won't be here next two weeks. That's the way it goes. Now, get this longing. I I don't want to. I want to hear the Word. I don't want to miss the Word. I want to have somebody explain it to me. Now, one of the neat things about the Bible is that if if you don't understand the Bible in light of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, the the, the soul-purifying message, then it it doesn't make sense. Some of you may be sitting here today going, I just don't get it. 
Maybe you're new to it. You never heard it before. The Bible has to be understood in light of God's redeeming message. It can't be, go and do this and you'll be right with God. That's not it. And if somebody's ever told you that, or you've got a friend that tells you that, or somebody at school's teaching you that, it's wrong. It's that Jesus can save you without you doing anything because that's the message. We can't get right with God on our own. Jesus brings us to God. He died for our sins when He died on the cross. So it's not like I'm saying, all right, guys, i got three points today. Stop sinning, start reading your Bible, you'll taste it. That's not our message. The message is that Jesus at work in our lives causes us to hate our sins and causes us to love His truth. He's doing that in us. I stumbled upon, I had not read it in years, but I stumbled upon this great quote. It's John Bunyan, who in many ways is my favorite author. He lived in the 1600s. He's a Puritan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He just writes this little four-line jingle. It's so good. It says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Unbelievable. If you're here today thinking, I want to put away some of these sins. I know my mouth's a little bit out of control. I know my desires are often worldly. And I want to put those away, Josh. If you're here today going, yes, I'm loving the Word of God. I'm loving reading it. I'm loving hearing it preached. I'm I'm loving what the Word's doing in my life. I I want more of that. Listen, I'm not telling you to, to try harder. I'm telling you to turn to Jesus. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. Renew my spirit daily. Make me yours. Be thou my vision. And Bunyan says, let me say that again, run, John, run, the law commands. In other words, God's law tells us do this, do this, do this. But it gives us neither feet nor hands. It doesn't doesn't allow me to do it. Everybody in here knows that we're supposed to honor our father and mother and at times we haven't. Everybody in here knows that the Bible says that we are to be sexually pure always and we struggle with it so much. It tells us what to do, but it doesn't enable us to do it. It gives us neither feet nor hands. But listen, far better news the gospel brings that Jesus died to save you from your sins and you can't do anything to add to that. You just believe it. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and it gives us wings. It tells us to love God and put away sin. And then it gives us the wings, the feet, the heart to do it. If you're here today, and Peter's words to you sound like, yes, that's what I want. I want my life to daily be. I'm putting away sins. It's an effort. And I'm longing for the Word. Then cast your soul on Jesus even now. Say, God, take all of me. Forgive me of my sins. Set me right. And watch God empower you to do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for three little verses about putting away things, growing up, even though it's hard, and tasting the goodness of God. Father, I know because I'm I'm experiencing it in my own life this week, 
These three verses in 1 Peter 2 are what I want to be about. But I've been through life too many days to know I won't be able to manufacture it. So God, I ask that you would help Josh be somebody who puts away and help Josh also be somebody who grows up because I long for the Word. Help me to do that. God, do that work in my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.